right. Thank you, Bob and Praise Team and Riley. Let's give them a hand. Great, great, great job. Um, today is important day um, for many reasons, but um, it's important because we are finishing this series that we're in, the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, we've been in this series for a couple of months now, but uh, this can be found in Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, chapters 5 through 7, and this is what many, many believe is the greatest collection of Jesus' teachings ever in one place. As a matter of fact, it's referred to as the Kingdom Manifesto. And when you hear the word manifesto, it really is an author's greatest work, right? It's their masterpiece. It's what they're known for. And, of course, Jesus taught in other areas. He taught at different times. He said different things. But the point is, this is the greatest collection of his teachings together in one place and at one time. Truly, it, this is the best sermon ever. So we've, Chad and myself, we've had big shoes to fill over the past couple of months because this is Jesus preaching and teaching. And so Jesus, we're going to wrap that up today. And what's interesting is Jesus finishes off the best sermon ever with the best sermon ending ever. And listen, he didn't finish it with a pep talk. Um, he didn't finish it with a real good, feel-good sentence or two, right? Um, he didn't finish it with a rhyme or an acronym or an alliteration or a funny story at all. But he finished the greatest sermon ever with a series of warnings, right? Warnings. Um, very, very important warnings. And I, so I hope and pray that all of us will turn our ear to what he has to say because it's a warning, right? And and it's for your and, and mine, it's for our benefit to, to heed that warning. This right here, the ending, is the most important part of Jesus' teaching, his message. Um, we are in the process of looking for a house, trying to buy a house, so we have ours on the market. Um, there's six of us in a three-bedroom home, all right? So you ever watch Little House on the Prairie? That's kind of how we are. Um, so we're, we're kind of looking for a bigger home. And so, you know, we've been there for a long time and haven't went through this in a long time. So I'm just now looking at, you know, the financing and doing these, looking at pre-approval. You know, the realtors want us to get pre-approval letters and stuff like that. And so we're, I, I'm kind of flirting with all that stuff. And what I've realized is that it's so easy at the beginning to, you know, with all these lenders and mortgage companies and stuff like that, to begin the process, right? You're just so smooth. You just, you just walk through it. Man, I can, be, I can do that in no time. But then once you get so far, it starts getting really tricky, doesn't it? Um, you start getting into some, some real technical stuff. Um, they call these disclosures, right? You start getting into disclosure statements. Uh, that's, that's key for legal, like legal stuff, legal requirements. Um, and, and so that's the important part. And, and it's funny because it's near the end, right? You're, you're almost done. Oh, by the way, we got to tell you this, and it's very important. Um, that's the way Jesus ends this message. And I want you to understand something. I want you to know this. 
the key theme in this is obedience. It's obedience. As a matter of fact, the key theme in all of Jesus' sermon has been obedience. He's taught a lot of different things, but it's obedience. Um, There are two types of people, really. There are two groups, just two. Not ten, not a hundred, just two. There are those that do and those that don't do, right? That's the essence behind Jesus' teachings here. And he does it through a series of illustrations. He does several of them. But the point behind each of them is there are those that do and there are those that don't do. And he does this. If you're a teacher today, maybe you still use this method in your classrooms. You do a series of compare and contrast. This is this. This is that. This goes one way. This goes another. This looks like this. This looks like that. Jesus does the same thing. And it's all about putting into practice. As a matter of fact, that is the translation of the original Greek word. And it's used 22 times in Jesus' sermon. 22. It sort of gets, literally, for us, lost in translation. Because as we bring the Greek into English, we have many different words for what the ori- their one word is. Um, but it literally, I'm not going to try to say it because I sound like a hillbilly. I don't want to make a fool of myself. But uh, it literally means put into practice. And we can translate it do, obey, produce, right, follow. We have many different translations for their one, but it theirs means put into practice. That is the theme mentioned 22 times in Jesus' sermon. You want to know how many times it's mentioned in the closing? Ten. Ten. So what does that tell you and me? Where is Jesus trying to land here? Obedience. Putting into practice. Hey, all that stuff that we talked about, all that stuff that I taught you, it's it's not enough just to hear, but you, you put into practice. All that stuff when I opened with the Beatitudes, to the be salt and light, to the uh, do not be angry, right? Do not uh, lust, right? Um, to do not judge, to to fasting, to to praying, to to giving. All those things that I taught, put into practice. That's the key. Um, and listen, even though Jesus never asks a single question of you in this, um, you're left questioning yourself. You know what I mean? You ever had somebody do that? They come up to you and say, here, have some gum. What are you thinking? Does my breast stink? Right? You see, Jesus makes these statements and then just naturally you're like, wait, what? Right? You'll start asking these questions and look, these questions are significant today that you will ask yourself. They are so, so very important and I've got a few of them, and i got two hours worth of notes, so I'm going to go through these really fast, okay? Um, first question is this, where are you going? Where are you going? Very important question to think about, where are you going? Every person is on a journey. Did you know that? Every person is on a path. Every person is on a road, and every person is ultimately going somewhere. 
there's a destination for everyone, right? Um, anybody remember the song Life is a Highway by Tom Cochran? You know, life is a highway. Hey, um, did you realize that that song is 30 years old? Man, don't you feel old now? Some of you are like, who's Tom Cochran? I thought it was Rascal Flatts. No, you need to go back a little bit further, right? Um, life is a highway. Isn't that interesting? Because it is. When you think about time, all right, not to get too deep on you, when, if you were to draw time, what does it look like? A line, which resembles what? A road, right? We're all on a road. Life is a journey. Where are you going. Jesus began his ending by giving a very important illustration about the journey of life and how important it is to know which road you're on. Why is that? Because which road you're on ultimately determines where you'll end up. Like if I'm on 460 heading towards Bluefield, I will not end up in Pound, Virginia, right? I will never get there no matter how hard I try. It's important to know which road you're on. Matthew 7, verse 13, Jesus opens this way. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. So you see Jesus' method here of compare and contrast. There are two gates, one narrow one wide, broad, your, your translation might say, there are two roads, one narrow, the other wide. There are two destinations. One is life, one is destruction, right? Man, very, very sobering here. You know, in this culture, there wasn't very many doors. It's not like here where we have a hundred doors here at this place. You know, you, you can get in everywhere. There are mainly two doors, right? In the temple and tabernacle and even in most homes, um, there's mainly just one door in most homes, but two doors at the most. A big door and a little door. And so they would have like, okay, Hey, we know this. There's only two doors, and um, you know we we normally use the big door because it's most convenient, right? It's our main entrance, and we really don't use the side door anymore. We just reserve that for special occasions or or whatnot, right? And Jesus is saying, no, you need to enter the door that you never go in, right? This door over here, the smaller, smaller gate. We all have heard this, well, most of us have heard this and read this before. This is very sobering to us. Why? Because Jesus says many enter this way through this door, and therefore many are on this road. Therefore, many end up destroyed because they entered the wrong gate. They are on the wrong road, and they ended up in destruction. By contrast, very few, very few, very few enter through the narrow gate and travel along the narrow road. By the way, narrow uh, it literally means difficult. 
okay. Um, it's difficult. Very few find life. Very few find life. If there are only two roads, one leads to destruction and one leads to life, how important is it to know which road you're on? Right? Literally, that's life and death. That's not a figure of speech in this context. It's very important. And unfortunately, the most popular view today and has been for pretty much forever is that there are many ways to God. Like there are many ways. There's relativism, there's universalism. Hey, you know, everybody ends up in heaven at some point. Everybody ends up with God at some point. Hey, as long as I believe that, um, you know, I can be good, as long as I practice good things and do this, I will be okay. Overall, I'm a good person, and at the end of the day, you know, if my good outweighs my bad, then I mean, yeah. I mean, God created everything, therefore God allows all these religions, and, and I just pick one of them, and, and I, I practice that, and, and I'll end up in the right place someday. There's a problem with that. Jesus never said that, right? Jesus never taught that. As a matter of fact, Jesus taught counter to that. By the way, Jesus was very polarizing, wasn't he? Like, there was no really gray area with him. And he wasn't really afraid to, to offend people, right? What shocked me, um, I got this survey in my email this week. Ironically, um, it says 6% of people, only 6%, have a biblical worldview. Some of you might know what a worldview is. A biblical worldview is one in which you, you view the world through the lens of Scripture. You believe in God. You believe in Jesus. You give Scripture sort of this authority over your life. You, you believe that it's true, that it's pure, and you, you allow it to influence you, and, and you obey it to a degree, right? That's, that's called a biblical worldview. Um, only 6%. Here's the problem with that. 51% of people identify as Christian. Barna did this study um, and found out that 51% of people identify as Christian. He, they thought that was high. 51%. After asking some follow-up questions and some probing questions, it was very, very, very clear that it was way less than that. So what was happening is people were simply identifying as Christian. They were simply just saying, hey, I'm a Christian. That's not, that's not a biblical world view, right? That's just saying I'm a Christian. I'll just give you a couple of, of examples. Um, the, the overwhelming majority, close to 40%, believe in reincarnation. And listen, um, reincarnation is not the same thing as resurrection. It's different. You know, Scripture in Jesus teaches us that there's resurrection. There is not reincarnation. Reincarnation is, you know, you come back and you get a second chance in life. And No, that's not, that's not according to Jesus. But what surprised me the most is only, only out of the 51%, only 33% said they believe that humans can only be saved from the consequences of sin by Jesus Christ. In other words, 
they're not Christians at all. Right? By definition, a Christian is one who believes and, and follows and places their faith in Christ. But yet, they can be saved by other means? No. The truth is, the way to God is restricted. That's why the gate is narrow, you see. Following Jesus is difficult. That's why the path, the road is narrow, folks. Listen, life, it, we're not promised an easy life, a comfortable life at all. It's very narrow. It's very difficult. But you know what? That is the way that leads to life. You know, Jesus was very specific. John 10, 9. Listen, Jesus says this. I am the gate. Not a gate. Not the side door. Not one of the entrances. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. That's Jesus. And then John 14, 6. Jesus answered, I am the way. What does that make you think of, by the way? The road. The, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. What does that make you think of? The destination that Jesus uses in this illustration? I am the life. No one, right? That's pretty exclusive there. No one comes to the Father except through me. He is, he is the gate. Luke says it this way in Acts chapter 4. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Look, um, where are you going? Where are you going? To know that, you have to know which gate you went through. Right? And Jesus is the narrow gate. It starts with believing in him placing your faith in him, allowing him to shower you with grace and to forgive your sins. But it's not just that. It's not just that. What direction is your life heading? In other words, how is your relationship with Jesus? How are you with Jesus' teachings? Is Jesus' teachings filtering themselves into your life some way? Right? He's... Jesus is the gate in this illustration, and most of us can see that pretty clearly, but Jesus is also the road, okay? The road. And the road is life. The road is living. And if we're not living Jesus, right? He, Jesus, according to him, it's not just enough to enter the gate, but you follow the road. And Jesus is ironically referred to as the way. You know, um, the term Christian really wasn't even a thing. What they called followers of Christ were followers of the way, right? So we got to make sure that we not only enter through the gate, the true gate, the narrow gate, but we stay on the narrow road, the right road. So important, which leads us to the next question. Who are you following? Who are you following? You know, we all follow something or someone, right? We do. We, we allow certain individuals or we allow certain groups or 
we allow certain literature or ideas or we allow certain influences upon our lives, right? We're all different. Maybe it's an author. Maybe it's a company. Maybe it's a product. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's a boss. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's a pastor, right? We all allow people and things. We, we give some freedom there, some flexibility, and, and we allow things in this world to mold us, to shape us, and to point us in a direction we all do. Who are you listening to? What are you watching on TV? What podcast are you listening to? What books or magazines or online articles are you reading? Who or what are you allowing to influence your life? Did you, did you know that... Uh, Statistics show, I didn't mention this in the first service because I forgot, but um, statistics show that Christians read a lot more than non-Christians. A lot more by a long shot. We're, we're getting information into our minds, into our hearts. Who are you allowing to influence you? Those things are so important. Here's why. If you're on the right road, how important is it to stay on the right road, right? If you're on the, the right road, right, you're, you're right where you need to be. How important is it for you to stay on that road? It's so important. That's what Jesus is saying next in verse 15. He says, watch out. In other words, hello, watch out, warning signs. These lights are flashing, right? You need to, need to pay attention, perk up just a little bit. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Right? So next, Jesus moves to this, this next story, this next illustration for us to, to observe and to learn from. And he mentions prophets, and specifically false prophets here. Now, Prophets are and were uh, spokespeople for God. They were mouthpieces for God. And you see them all throughout the Bible. And Scripture teaches us that they will continue, right? They will continue on. There are prophecies about that as well. So they were spokespeople for God. They relayed God's message, but they were also this. And this is what we never, ever, and rarely think about. They were beacons of light. In other words, God anoints and ordains and calls certain people, he has done it historically and he's still doing it today, to not only speak on his behalf, but to be a beacon to point people to life. Does that make sense? Um, we would call these people luminaries, right, in, in the philosophical field, L luminaries or or enlighteners they in, they enlightened people because almost every single person in this world is saying what's life about what's the meaning of life or you reach a, a certain point in your life where you're confused and you don't understand and what do you do you need help right you you look for answers you look for guidance and God anoints and appoints certain people to be a beacon of light to point you to life he does 
So it's good to listen. It's good to learn. It's good to allow people to influence you. As a matter of fact, it's biblical. Jesus, in the Great Commission, what? Uh, go to all nations, baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I have taught you. You see? It's, it's a command from Jesus. So we all need to really humble ourselves to a degree and place ourselves under some type of, of teacher and, and, and respectfully do that. that we, that's good, right? But Jesus says, watch out for false prophets, okay? He warned of false prophets. And look, I was so surprised at how many warnings there are all throughout Scripture from beginning to end about false prophets. It's watch out, watch out, watch out, watch out, watch out, watch out. And I think what Jesus is telling us is watch out, right? Watch out for false prophets. Now, uh, the word false in Greek is pseudo, okay? Pseudo. And that's where we get our word pseudonym from. And what the, what's a pseudonym? It's a false, it's a fake name. It's like me saying, hey, I'm Rick Flair. Nice to meet you. Right? I'm not Rick Flair, by the way. See, uh, we, we have this wrong idea, and we, we have a terrible uh, view of this in Western Christianity. We hear the term false prophet, and we think of monster or mean or wicked or evil. Biblically speaking, in what Jesus is saying, no, it, it's nothing to do with that. It's simply fake. It's not real. That, to me, that's a lot scarier or more scary. I don't know proper grammar. Um, you see, it, you can't tell the difference. It's, it, right? If it was scary, you'd be able to be like, oh, yeah, I'm not going there. I'm not listening to this person. This person is wicked evil, right? No. That's what, that's common sense. Jesus knows. He gave that common sense to you, to some of you. Um, what he's stressing here is like, hey, sometimes it's hard to tell. It's hard to tell, right? And these pseudo-prophets, they're not real. You need to watch out for those guys. Watch out for those ladies. Watch out for those people. Watch out. They appear to be the real deal, but they're not. They're false. They're fake. They're pseudo. And guess what? These people will lead you to destruction. They will destroy your life. Now, that might not always be their intent. But if you go down that road, that's the road they're headed, right? They're not, they're not luminaries. They're not God-appointed enlighteners, right? They're not God's anointed beacons to point you to life. They're pseudo. They're false. They're fake. And, and look, if you, if you put all your eggs in that basket, it will not work out well for your life. That's what Jesus is saying. Um, and he uses this phrase that we all really are familiar with as wolves in sheep, sheep's clothing. Um, that tells us two things. First of all, wolves are predatory, right? And um, all you got to do is look at an animal, right? Anybody seen an uncautious deer? Well, maybe you have. But usually when you go out and it's a wild animal, they're like, right? It's like, do I, tr 
I don't trust this person. I don't, you know, they're cautious. They're like, is this a predator or not? Right? They don't just, you know, stroll up and like let you pet them and all this stuff. No, they're, that's what Jesus is saying. Like you can't, you can't do that. You need to be cautious because there are wolves out there and wolves are predators. Um, the second thing this teaches us is this. They're in sheep's clothing. So like you, you can't really tell a lot of times. It's hard to tell. That's scary. So the question is, how do you tell? How do you tell if somebody's a false prophet or a false teacher or a bad apple, right? How do you tell? Well, two two things, two two things according to the Bible, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on the first one, um, but only two things. Outside of these two things, you're going to have to revert back to Jesus' teaching on judging. Okay? Um, the first First thing is this. Um, by the way, we, we do, um, we also do a terrible job of this in Western Christianity and in this, in this part of the United States. Terrible because we think everybody is a false prophet, right? Have you seen that? They're a false prophet. They're a false teacher. They're false. They're false. They're false. And, and it's just like crazy. You're false, by the way. If you think that, you're wrong. It's not biblical. Um, the, the scripture teaches us two ways, two ways, only two, okay? And they both have to do with Jesus. Um, this is not on the screen, but it comes from 1 John chapter 4. Listen to this. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. All right, we get that. We've heard that. And he says, because many false prophets, many pseudo-prophets have gone out into the world, many Right? That's kind of scary. There's many out there. Then he says this. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Wow. It's right there. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. All right, so here's test number one. What does this person teach and believe about Jesus? Do they believe in Jesus? Do they teach about Jesus? Do they live and try to follow Jesus? Are they teaching you and encouraging you to follow Jesus? Look, I got to tell you, if the answer is yes in just any way, that person is probably, more than likely, almost 99% not a false prophet. Okay? Here's what we do. Oh, that person don't use the same Bible I do, right? Or I don't like the way he talks. Or, you know, he doesn't have the right attitude, right? It's, it becomes a personal thing, a personal preference thing, and no, 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 no. Hey, we lump the pastors and preachers in this category, but it's more than that. It's more than that. Here's the thing, and I'm just going to include myself in this category. We're human. We're just like anybody else. If you, if you teach the Bible to anybody, you're just like anybody else. Guess what? A sinner, imperfect. There's going to be times where I mess up, I misspeak, I say the wrong thing. I think I'm right 99% of the time, but guess what? I might not be, right? <laughs> you know? Um, that's just the truth. And we need to give grace 
there. We need to see that. A false prophet is somebody that clearly does not believe in Jesus and that clearly does not teach Jesus and definitely does not want you to follow Jesus. Okay, so that's the first test. The second te- test in our uh, comes from our text specifically. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Do, do, do you go after grapes in the middle of thorn? I mean, like, if, if you want to go get some grapes, do you go diving headfirst into thorn bushes? Who does that? No, I don't, right? Do you do that? If, if you are wanting a, a fig, all right, if you've got a craving for some fig newtons, um, do you go looking over there where the thistles are? No. And Jesus is saying, that's how, that's how obvious this needs to be to you. Um, you will recognize them by their fruit. Well, what is fruit? Um, it's a person's life, right, when we think about it. We think about um, the result, the, the evidence in a person's life. We've all heard, heard that. Here's the most helpful term that I've ever heard, ever, and it's very, very helpful, okay? Fruit represents a person's character. Character. How, how is this person at home? All right? And, and is this person that is on this platform or whatever platform they're on, what they, is what they're saying close to how they're living? Right? That's how you know. It's char- here's, here's our mess up most of the time, and I see it happen all the time around here. Um, all the time. We chase after charisma. Charisma. We, we look at the person with all the charisma, and that's who we gravitate towards. I've heard this, um, and it's very helpful. Don't chase after charisma, but look at the character of a person. It's not charisma. It's character. Look, I have, I have zero charisma. Y'all don't have to agree with me, but... You, you, you see the difference there. Um, there's warnings all throughout the Bible, especially in when you, uh, we just went through Daniel, and then when you look at Revelation about what the false prophet, like the end of time false prophet is, charismatic. Hey, is it just a coincidence? Nah, because that's what you go after. That's what we go after. Don't do that. No. You look for the fruit of character, Right? Does the teaching match the person's living? Um, He goes on to say this, Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. What he's simply saying there, hey, if this is a legit person, hey, it'll it'll have legit fruit. If this is a pseudo-teacher, it'll have pseudo-fruit, right? It'll be fake fruit. Anybody (laughs) made the mistake of eating fake fruit? I saw somebody do that one time, and it was hilarious, by the way. Like one of those things on the table, and it was a grape, and it was like, ah, you know. Sorry. Um, if a person is true, it'll be apparent by their life. It'll be revealed in their character. Well, what happens to pseudo-prophets? Not anything good. Not anything good. Jesus says this, Every tree that does not bear good fruit... In other words, it's a bad tree, you see, because of the fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. 
Thus by their fruit, you will recognize them. Look, so many people gravitate toward this, to the false, to the pseudo. But really, their destination isn't good. Isn't good. Um, You know, Actually, Scripture teaches of an eternal torment of the lake of fire that we, many of us have heard about. Many preachers just pound and pound and pound, right? It's a real place. But you know who it was made for? Pseudo-prophets. That's what the Scripture teaches us. Made for Satan, made for the pseudo-Christ, and the pseudo-prophets. The lake of fire. You do not want to follow a pseudo-prophet, a pseudo-teaching. Pay attention to who you allow to influence you, to whom you listen to. We always group this into pastors into this category, but aren't we apt to follow just about anyone and everyone? Aren't we apt to listen to just about anything and everything? Really? Pay attention to who you listen to and who you follow two reasons there are good trees and bad trees you need to know the difference and then this because of your own sin nature you didn't think of it that way did you we seldom look think about it this way we're being on the lookout because there's bad trees out there we seldom think that hey i might be bad i'm sinful we seldom think about that There's a clear warning in Scripture. Again, this is not on the screen. I'm just going to read it. 2 Timothy 4. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Do you get that? All right. So that is not on the bad tree. That's on you. That's the person saying, I know this is a bad tree, but I'm going to eat from it anyway. Just like Eve, by the way. I know this is bad fruit. I know I'm not. I'm going to do it anyway. There will, a time, there will be a time when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Listen to what it says. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. In other words, you're just going to follow the comforts. Do you realize, does that sound familiar? What road does that sound like? big road, the wide road, the easy road, the big gate, where does that road lead? You don't want to go there. The Bible warns that we not only face threat of others misleading us, but we also face the threat of our own hearts leading us astray. And that, to me, is very scary, very eye-opening. And you might ask this, how in the world do I deal with that? It all goes back to the gate. It all goes back to the road. How close are you to Jesus? Is Jesus a savior you prayed to 20 years ago? Or is he a master and Lord that you follow today? See, the closer you are to the the real thing, the better able you'll be able to see the pseudo, you know? It starts with Jesus. And then fruit is so important. Not only to watch out for as in the bad, but to produce in your own life, which leads us to this question. What fruit are you producing? What fruit are you producing? I'm going to take a drink of water, and I'll tell you why in just a second.
verses 21 and 22 are to me the most terrifying two verses in all the Bible. Maybe they are to you as well. And I remember hearing these verses read as a kid and being like, oh, like shocked and terrified. And I think we've gotten away from that because there does need to be a fear of God. There does need to be a fear of reality, of knowing like, hey, this is going to happen. This will happen. It forces you to consider your life, right? It's a warning for a purpose, for a reason. There's usually a warning to avoid devastation, a catastrophe, something bad on the other side. This is the bad, okay? Verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Such a stark warning there. And, and it's not really a warning. What's, what scares me here is that this is Jesus. This is the Son of God. This is the one who is the Alpha and the Omega. All right, so get that. He was before and he's at the end. So he know, he's already here. He knows. So it's not a warning. It's a prediction. It's a truth that has already occurred in the future to him. He, he sees it because he's outside of time, right? He, it's not only a warning for me and you, but he's looking ahead and saying, look, there's, this is going to happen. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. It's not just about just speaking and saying. And, hey, I would, I would even argue and... and tell you this, it's not enough to read your Bible. It's not enough to memorize scripture. It's not enough to hear. Like we're hearing now, you're hearing me. We do this every Sunday. It's not enough. That's what they were doing here. And Jesus, obviously it wasn't enough because he had to end this way. It's not enough. The only one who will enter the kingdom of heaven is the one who what? Does the will, of, right? You see, there's that term there, put into practice, right? Very, very important. So important. I didn't realize this until this week. Jesus book ends this sermon. In other words, he begins and he ends with, putting into practice with obedience, with doing the will of his Father. Matthew 5, 19. So chapter 5 is when he started his sermon. Matthew 5, 19 says this, whoever practices, there's another uh, English translation for the word put into practice, whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Do you see the theme there? It's throughout his sermon. He starts it. And he ends it. Obedience put into practice. Listen, i got to warn you. There's going to be a lot of people that are surprised on that day. And it's going to be people that only heard 
didn't do. He says this in verse 22, Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evil doers. Sobering, isn't it? The words of Jesus. I never knew you. You know that word no, knew? It's the same word that was used all the way back in Genesis between Adam and Eve when Adam knew his wife. And not to get weird on you or anything, it just signifies a deep relationship, a close relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not enough just to walk around flashing Lord, Lord. It's not not good enough just to go around being fake and artificial and resembling to do things in his name. It's not enough. You've got to be close with him, a relationship to where you obey and you put it into practice. I've seen this with so many people I have who know the Bible. Man, they know the Bible. They know Scripture. They can quote it left and right. Right? You know, knowing the Roman road isn't the same thing as following the way of Jesus. It's completely different. It's all about having a relationship. A relationship where he has authority, right? He's not just your Savior, but he is your Lord, and you're putting what he teaches you into practice. Now, that was heavy, I know. I'm going to lighten it just a little bit, and I'm going to close here in just a minute, I promise. I'm going to lighten the mood. Um, When I say Billy Ray Cyrus, what do you think of other than mullets? What song do you think of? Achey Breaky Heart, right? Good, Ralph. Hey, here's what's funny. And um, if you are a lady and you're you're around 40 and above, chances are you had a crush on Billy Ray. <laughs> that is so funny. I'm just saying it because I saw it when I was a when I was a kid. Like I, like all the women my mom's age and older, they were like Billy Ray, Billy Ray, Billy. I'm like, what? Why? You did, by the way. Um, Billy Ray. All right. Uh, what about this one? Los Del Rio. No? It's not a Mexican re- restaurant, by the way. Um, Gary, it's not a Mexican restaurant. Uh, anybody heard the song Macarena? Okay, here's what's funny about that, is that I would say 99% of people in this room have done the Macarena at least once. You have, and some of you do it every week. That's embarrassing, by the way. Um, some of you will do it at the next wedding party you go to, right? You, you know, whatever. Um, what about, and I'm dating I'm dating um, myself and maybe you too, but does anybody remember the show Friends? Right. No? Come on, you didn't watch Friends? Yes, you did. What was the song for that? 
I'll be there for you, right? The Rembrandts, all right? Um, and then when I say Hanson, okay, when I say Hanson, what do you think of? Hmm? What song? Come on, Lindsay. You know it. Mm -bop. Yes, you got it. Hey, the, all those on top of Life is a Highway, Tom Cochran, not Rascal Flatts, um, what do those have in common? Those are all in, lumped into a category of what's known as one-hit wonders. Right? One-hit wonders. And here's the thing. There's not going to be any one-hit wonders in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Uh, your life, don't be a one-hit wonder with Jesus. Don't, don't, don't go through the gate and stop. All right? He doesn't want you to do that. He wants you to follow him down the road. Hey, man, sometimes that road's going to be tough and hard and difficult. But guess what? That's the right road because it's the road that leads to life. Don't be a one-hit wonder. You take his teachings and you put them in to practice. So important that you do that. I want to finish with this. Last question. Most important question of your life. What are you building your life upon? What are you building your life upon? We are all building a life. We are all making a life for ourselves. You've heard that phrase? I'm going to go make a life for myself. We're all doing that. Jesus says this in verse 24, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, right, is like a wise man, smart man. That's a, that's a wise person right there. That's a person making the right decisions. It's a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came. Notice it's not if the rain came, but the rain's coming. It's coming. Difficulty comes. Right? This person. The rain came, the storm, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall. Why did it, why didn't it fall? Because its foundation was on the rock. What's the rock? Well, of course it's Jesus, but not just that. It is puts them into practice. You gotta see that. I've I've seen this happen so many times where a Christian, right, will not put the teachings of Jesus into practice, and they wonder why their life is so jacked up. They're messed up. Their life is going everywhere, right? That's not always the case, but I've seen it happen. I've seen it happen to me, by the way. Got saved when I was eight years old, did not follow Jesus when I was a young man, and my life just began unraveling before my eyes. I had, I, had, I had gotten off the road, you see. You build your life on Jesus and putting his teachings into practice, you will have a strong foundation. But notice the warning here. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man. The literal word there is moron. <laughs> The one who does this is foolish. It's unwise. As a matter of fact, you're a moron if you do this. <laughs> who built his house on sand. 
the rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. So we've really got two houses here, don't we? Two builders. Here's the thing. You cannot tell the difference between the two at all until when? The storm comes. Hey, folks, everybody has storms. Everybody encounters difficulties. The difference is what the foundation is built upon. If you're built upon Jesus and putting his teachings into practice, you will stand. You will. If not, if not, your life will fall with a great crash. The last two verses in the chapter say this. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not their teachers of the law. Such an amazing ending here. It says, all these people that were listening were amazed. I love Eugene Peterson's, he's the one that does the Message Bible. Um, I like reading it sometimes. Puts a different perspective on things. He says, this is the greatest, this was the greatest message they had ever heard. That's his translation of it. They were amazed. He, he had authority that they had never heard of before. You see, there were rabbis. There were all kinds of teachers, but they had small authority compared to Jesus. You see, the custom was that rabbis would quote former rabbis. Like you would quote your predecessor. So whoever was the current rabbi at the time, they would say, well, my predecessor said this. Did you, you know, realize that Jesus never, ever did that not one time? Never. And they were like, oh, wow. What authority that is to come on a mountainside to say, build your life upon me and not the Pentateuch, not the Torah. You, you build your, it would have been shocking to them. Wait, 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 we were supposed to build our life upon the Torah, right? The five, that's what Moses, no, I'm up here on a mountain, I'm telling you, I'm, I have the, the authority to say, you, you, you put my teachings into practice or your life will crash. What great authority is that? This is sobering to me because it doesn't say what they did. The greatest message they've ever heard, they were amazed. What authority is that? And we're left with filling in the blank. Jesus, the one with all authority, the gate, the true gate, the way, the truth, the life, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Alpha and Omega, the Messiah, the righteous judge. Actually, in this context, when people are at the end of time, who are they standing before? Him. And who does... Who says, depart from me, I never knew you? Him. Who comes at the end of time to right all the wrongs and to eradicate evil for good and forever? Him. The one with all authority. He ends his sermon not with a pep talk, not with a joke, 
not with an acronym or alliteration or a funny rhyme to get you to remember, but a warning. It doesn't even end it with a prayer or announcements. A warning with a question for you to ask yourself, what are you building your life upon? If it's anything other than me, your life will come to a great crash. Can you imagine if I ended a sermon like that? I mean, just imagine, how, how long will you all let me preach here if I did that, right? How awkward would that be? Just imagine that with me for a minute. Imagine that you, that you had just heard the greatest sermon ever. Like I was up here, and man, you're like, he is anointed today. Woo, Lordy, he is good. And you're amen in me, and you're hallelujah, and you're, you're doing all that stuff, right? And you're into it, and you're thinking in your head, this is the greatest message I've ever heard. You're amazed by my authority, right? I've never heard anybody speak this way. I've never heard anybody like this. This is great. You were amazed with my wisdom. You were impressed with not only my charisma, but also my character, right? And this authority, I just had this presence of God, and you were like, whoa, you were blown away. And I said at the end of my sermon, hey, all that stuff that I just said, the person that hears and does those things is like a person who's house is built upon a rock and the rain came and the, the streams rose and the winds blew and it, the house didn't fall because it was built upon that foundation but that message that you just heard that amazing message that just impressed you so much If you hear the words of mine and do not put them into practice, that person is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash.